podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back, fight fans, to another episode of The Darker Side of Boxing. Another fantastic addendum to a season end. And today, I'm joined by Patrick Connor, the author of Shots at a Brothel, The Spectacular Demise of Oscar Bonavena, really to discuss what Oscar was all about and, and discussing your take on Oscar Bonavena and the research you did and the book that you wrote uh, and obviously the episode we've done as our season finale. But first and foremost, introduce yourself onto the show because obviously for anybody that doesn't already know you through social media, just talk to them a little bit about who you are and obviously what your involvement has been in boxing for a very long time. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me again. And well, having me for the first time, the thanks is again. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I suppose most people would probably know me from social media more than anywhere else, which is, I suppose, a lot of us. Um, and I've kind of been on and around social media discussing boxing and things like that for a number of years, but I started writing about 10 years ago or so. And yeah, um, just kind of have gone through a handful of websites or uh, other media in terms of writing and was eventually asked to write a book for Hamilcar and very grateful for that. So that's, I guess, what a kind of the kick I've been on in the last few months. So Oscar Bonavina, why him? What what was it that drawn you to him to want to put a book together? It's a good question. Um, it It just kind of happened to be somewhat coincidental in terms of why Bonavena and the timing and whatnot, um, I believe that what happened was I was researching uh, Ali Bonavena because the anniversary had come about and I do some boxing history, like I run the boxing history social media accounts on Facebook and whatnot. And so every so often I'll do kind of like on this day in history type of posts. And I was researching Ali Bonavena because I knew about it, but I didn't really know too many details. And when I kind of started looking in, I, I was like, Hey, whatever happened to Bonavena? And I just never really, I guess, connected much of it. And I was like, wasn't there something weird that happened to him? And I started looking into it. And the more I looked into it, the weirder it got, you know, the more kind of like details I, I found, the more cryptic it got. So I, I kind of researched it. I saved a number of articles and I stuffed them away. And then maybe in the matter of weeks or something like that, I was contacted by the guys at Hamilcar. One thing led to another and they asked if I wanted to get in on this um, Hamilcar Noir series that they have that's all about true crime and the kind of darker aspects of the sport of boxing and whatnot. So. I jumped at the opportunity because I've been wanting to write a book or something like that for a while. And it just, the timing wound up being just right for Bonavena, I suppose, or just wrong, depending on how you look at it. So what was your perception of, of Bonavena going into the research for this? Uh, only because I, my perception was, was totally, totally different. And when I learned so much about him doing the research for our episode, it, it really blew my mind uh, in terms of, what I didn't already know about him. I, I perceived him as 
this 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 contender from from the 1960s 70s era who fought some of the the greats of of that period of time but just never quite was never seemed to be quite good enough to to topple the mountain and and be that guy at the top of the division but then when I come to do this episode on Bonavena, my whole world was kind of changed and my perception was changed and the reality was totally different. So I'm curious to know when you started getting into your research for the book, like what were you, what your perception was of Bonavena and then what it sort of started to turn into? Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's a lot of the way that the book, the way that the book moves in terms of the narrative kind of mirrors my own um, in that, you start to see these kind of um i think i use the word playful you kind of see these impish and very naughty type of behavior from bonavena from a fairly early age interacting with other people but it comes off i mean it could you could buy it as innocent to a point and then it's when those it's when he starts getting a little bit older and it starts seeming a little less innocent and so kind of similarly, when I went into this, I thought, well, he's just kind of a, he was just a little bit of a jerk, but like a guy who liked attention and was kind of a playful jerk, I guess. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized there was definitely, I don't want to say cliche things like a dark side to him or whatever, because I don't even think that that fully encompasses the complexity of his character or anyone's character, really, you know, it's not just good and bad, et cetera, but nonetheless there was obviously some some motivation inside of him that was complex and coming from a place that wasn't just that did have some sort of malice to it um even if not like murderous intent but just not necessarily nice either so i i started understanding more and more as i researched that he wasn't a nice guy and it sounded like uh on on your guys pod about that that you kind of got that too that you understood that that's kind of where i was pointing that it was not the the public perception of him is just of a clown was not really 100 percent. yeah and and that's exactly what i i took away from it as the as the story goes on through through throughout our side and through your book you start to understand that he isn't it isn't all just innocence. I think initially I started to think he, he is just like a class clown. He's a bit of a joker. He likes that attention, as you rightly pointed out. But as time went on, it felt like you, the, the sort of certain behaviours that you really can't ignore. And it's like people around him were just ignoring them behaviours for the sake of who he was and what he could do in the ring. And, and the fact that he... I think he was, he was affiliated, even in his early days with people that weren't very experienced within the sport on a business level and that really didn't help him and and I think that was most notable when he was when he was put into face Zora Foley uh, I think like even Zora Foley at this point of his career we were saying you know he wasn't as enthusiastic he openly said that throughout the years but he was still a force to be reckoned with and it's like they put him in there too soon because they felt like he had this aura of invincibility around him that he'd be able to beat someone as established as Azora Foley and and he he came up very short on on that particular night and he started to see that these people around him were were kind of I felt like they weren't guiding him in the direction he needed to be guided in he was a difficult character to deal with quite evidently but 
he just wasn't being guided in the right way and he was just kind of left to, to do what he wanted to do and no matter what you said to him he would completely do the opposite and it was either his way or, or no way yeah um, and I think that the classic stereotype in terms of the relationship with fighters and managers and promoters and those kinds of things right the assumption is that the fighter's being taken for a ride something's being robbed from the fighter and I mean, ultimately, that is the case regardless because the fighter is taking the damage. So in the end, the fighter is not generally getting the last laugh, no matter what. So there's this dark undercurrent of that. that's the kind of backdrop of boxing in the first place, which in itself is, <laughs> that's a downer. And so generally that's put in the back pocket and people don't think about that type of thing. But that being said, the relationship here between the fighters and the promoters and whatnot, at least in the short term, is thought of as the, the people outside the ring are exploiting the person inside the ring. And there, are, there have been more recent relationships where that's not the case. Or um, you, you could say that it's reversed, or you could also say that the fighter is finally getting what they're, they deserve or something like that. I mean, it depends on your perspective, but in Oscar's case... In Oscar Bonavena's case, it seemed as though he fully understood what his value as a potential heavyweight champion was. He understood that other people knew that and that he could then get one over on them knowing that they believed he could be he could be that. Whether he truly believed he could is unclear. And that's kind of the that's that's the mysterious part through all of this that I, I did I do mention in the book, but it's just how do you even know? in a character like this that's yeah. that's the that's the hard part yeah and, and and obviously moving moving forward a little bit in the timeline here in terms of where he goes on he has these big name contests with Josh Chavalo, Joe Fraser and he has these WBA elimination contests and you know he, he's getting himself involved in in the title contention quite frequently but he never he never just seemed he never seemed to get there and it was like a lack of I just kind of felt like it for me my perspective of it was like it's a lack of you know him being 100% motivated I mean I will never know that we will never know that for sure but I just kind of got this feeling that this is how he seemed to come across at certain moments and there were certain pivotal moments throughout his in-ring career where you, you felt like maybe you know this could have been a moment where he could have changed the course of his destination rather than the ultimate destination that he went to and I think one of the biggest moments for me was obviously the Ali fight and, and Ali's return uh, Ali comes back from exile he gets in the ring for, for once and then he comes back and he fights Bonavina uh, I, I think it was his second comeback fight if, 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 correct me if I'm wrong but he comes back and he fights Bonavina but it's the press conference and it's this whole the, the, the sort of racial elements that Bonavina brings to it and the the sort of innocence slash ignorance that was involved in all of that. Like, we were trying to fathom on our episode whether it's because of where he came from and how things were more socially acceptable where he came from in Argentina as opposed to what they were when he comes to America to fight Ali and he calls Muhammad Ali a black kangaroo and it's like, even then, even then words then were, were, were deemed to be a, a racial a racial slur towards Ali and I think I didn't really know the extent of, of what he was saying until we went into the depths of our research and some of the words that he was using within the press conference just kind of felt like is he is he just a racist guy or is it just his pure ignorance and, and that sort of 
element of innocence because where he's come from, where he's been brought up in, this was all socially acceptable. Yeah, and actually I think that that, that's partially where I might have had um, a slight advantage in this in that I speak Spanish, not natively, but um, fluently enough to read through articles in Spanish and understand, thank goodness. And that was helpful because I was able to read through a really instructive book by uh, an Argentine writer named Carlos Irusta uh, about Luna Park specifically. It's a fairly detailed book. Um, it's detailed in portions. It doesn't. It's not like a biography, but nonetheless, things like that were very helpful and also um hopefully uh, i hope that that helped give me a slightly different perspective on um i mean language is so meaningful and impactful the way that something is said and its meaning obviously does not necessarily translate from one culture or language to another and as you said on your pod that's not a way to excuse anything that oscar said but he might not have had quite the racist or malicious intent uh, in any one of these exchanges. The problem was that they added up. Hmm. And so that's, I think that's really the issue was that it wasn't just Ali, but he did it to Joe Frazier. He did it to several darker skinned South American opponents that he fought in Buenos Aires and outside of Buenos Aires too. Uh, he would make racist remarks and the problem was that he knew they were people would bring that to his attention and they'd say hey like why why are you saying this about him he was doing it whether it was to get a rise out of somebody or be out of true racism i i don't know but either way it's still causing harm so it doesn't really matter that much the intent you know like it's it's still it's still very harmful and still obviously getting a rise out of opponents and whatnot so you know um back to your original point though as far as these pivotal moments that was clearly one of them and it's not 100 percent uh clear as far as whether or not bonavana would have been able to in terms of ability become a heavyweight champion or something like that because he was definitely very um raw (laughs) like you could say sloppy you could use a whole bunch of different adjectives but he was definitely very raw definitely very unpolished uh compared to a lot of his contemporaries but he also knew how to use that to his advantage and make that work for him and in boxing there is an element of awkwardness often being used to an advantage or used to make it work for fighters so you can't just dismiss him outright but then you get to these moments where he had a chance, there was a chance to go, you know, to win the WBA tournament and, you know, or at the very least give better showings. And a number of these pivotal fights where he did not give a good showing or, you know, came out kind of poor or lost, whatever. And what that was attributed to, again, you could not say 100%, but it was, there were a lot of distractions. And how do you know, you know, if you can't take away those distractions? That's one of the biggest problems with Bonavena is that there was always something going on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that is the interpretation I took away from from the research that we did for this episode was there were a lot of distractions that ultimately for me led to not so much well well, it does ultimately lead to his demise, of course, which we'll get into, but 
in terms of his boxing career, there were certain moments where you, you kind of feel... I felt personally frustrated, even though this, this, this time has way been and gone, and we're talking like, you know, 40, 50 years ago these things happened. Ultimately, when you're going through the course of a story, you kind of feel a little bit frustrated, and I felt frustrated where there were moments that I honestly believed that could have been completely different. And and I know it's a case of sort of fantasising about what could have happened, but for me it was frustration of this guy could have done so much more, this guy could have made a made a, a a right move or a right choice at this moment in time and this could have completely changed the trajectory of where his career and his life was going but then there wouldn't be the story that we're talking about and there wouldn't be this book that you've right. done because this is ultimately what he does this is what Bonavena does this is what he's all about he's, right. he he takes these distractions on board and he, he ultimately leads to his boxing career taking this sort of slow decline throughout the late 1960s into the mid-1970s, you can slowly sort of see visually in the ring that, that raw ruggedness, that aggressiveness he once had is, is not making the, the impactfulness it once did on, on his opponents in the ring. And a lot of the opponents that are getting into the ring with him towards the latter end of his boxing career are starting to figure out that there is a, a straightforward way to beat this guy. And that, that, that straightforward way was figured out quite quickly by a lot of the fighters post that post the Ali fight. And you could see it was just... For me, I could see it was just visually declining throughout watching the fights. And I started to see the distractions outside of the ring. I started to hear the stories. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's this, this story is only ever going to go one way. And that's, that's just me going through the story piece by piece, time by time. And even knowing the ending to the story, you still kind of think to yourself there's moments here that that could have could have changed the trajectory of where he was going but he just seemed so arrogant and so egotistical in in himself that he couldn't he couldn't make them changes he was happy to be who he wanted to be and nobody was going to tell him how to live or be differently yeah it it was challenging for me to know the ending of the story and kind of have to reverse engineer it um I, I knew how the story went, but I didn't know how to tell it. And I didn't know how to tell it in a way that I felt was compelling. So that was a challenge for me as far as setting the book up and, and telling the story as, as a narrative that made sense. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people know the story of Oscar Bonavena, but they don't know exactly how Joe Conforte figures into that story. And that was really important to me to get that right, to kind of like slide him in there so that people could understand like, ah, wow, okay, there is some kind of other connection there that goes deeper than just what people know. Um, so that challenge was kind of tough, but I, the only, I guess, self-criticism, but it's not so much self-criticism as like a, a slight lament. <laughs> I, I wish I would have had more space to write more things. And that's partially because of my own style um, I want to pass along as much information as I possibly can. I want to explain as much as I can and go into much detail as much as I can. But one, it wasn't that kind of book. Uh, it was a shorter book. And two, I also was having a difficult time. And this is something that's an ongoing process for me as a writer. I was having a difficult time understanding that not everything that's interesting to me is interesting to a reader. And um, so I have a tough time letting go of information like that. Like I'm just looking at this and thinking, but how could I give them this piece of information? But then they don't have this whole thing. What? Then they don't understand it how I understand it and they need to. And it's like, well, no, they don't really need to. They need to only understand it in the context of this story, not 
the entire history of the economics of Argentina, which I read two books on, which was ridiculous. Don't ever do this, people. I'm I'm overboard and crazy. So it was, but it it was key for me to understanding a lot of this story. So um, I wish I had a little bit more space because I would have gone a little bit more into Bonavena is a slightly more complex guy, his family. And, you know, he was he was devoted to his family, at least on the surface. Um, and he and there was a lot about him and his family written at the time. It's just that going into that, it, I felt really stilted the narrative because this wasn't a story about Oscar Bonavena's family, really. You know, this was a story about why he ended up the way he ended up. One of the interesting parts of your book in particular and something we we tried to steer a little bit away from was was going into detail on Joe Conforte because we knew how much context you'd put to Joe for that story and how how much putting that context to it meant to the actual story and the the book itself so we we only sort of chopped chopped that right down to be fair we just we just sort of we give a bit of context to who he was but you wrote a lot about Joe and and to, to put a lot of understanding for people as to who he was what impact he has and what sort of influence uh he he has on oscar bonavina and how this affects the trajectory of oscar bonavina's life and and his, his ultimate demise so for the benefit of people that maybe haven't heard our pod yet or they haven't read your book yet um in as in a much well in as little summary as possible without giving too much away is there a, a, a sort of way to summarize who Joe Conforti was? Uh, I think that sticking mostly to what people know is sufficient with kind of sliding a couple things in there, no problem. Um, because I did do a lot of research, probably, I don't know if I would say I did as much research on Conforte as I did Bonavena, but I mean, it was close. I have, <laughs> okay, so I guess to put it into context, Joe Conforte wrote his own autobiography. A number of years ago and he actually just died two years ago at the age of like 90 something I, I don't even know it was like 93 or something he was old and he died in Brazil some unknown place in Brazil presumably living it up with God knows what you know at his sides and in his hands but um, in any case you know <clears throat> there have been a, a number of things written on Joe Conforte in some detail over the years but not in the context of boxing and what this meant to Oscar Bonavena. So a number of people, again, know the the kind of surface story is he was a brothel owner and he's just this guy who had Oscar Bonavena killed. Or And that's another kind of portion of this is reacting to people who react to my book going, oh yeah, Oscar Bonavena, the blah, 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 blah. And usually the blah, blah, blah is a portion that's not true or presumed or something like that, which is also uh, kind of a part of writing this book is, is getting some of these facts right, as many as possible. Joe Conforte was an Italian or a Sicilian, I should say, immigrant who emigrated to the United States when he was fairly young and through a somewhat tawdry, definitely tragic at times, and definitely icky uh, uh, chain of events wound up going from San Francisco to Reno, Nevada uh, and becoming a brothel owner in Reno, in Reno, Nevada. 
and I guess the the backdrop of Reno is somewhat important to the story and to the crime because of what kind of town it is. And this is a slight portion also where I would have liked a little bit more space and a little more time to uh, go into Reno and what was going on in Reno and stuff like that, just because I think that it's uh, especially maybe for foreign readers too, to understand that this is kind of like a wild West almost uh, it's like somebody trying to place a bigger city in the middle of the, the desert in the wild West, you know, it, it, it doesn't really make much sense. So you have this, money-making mindset and a whole bunch of people who are more or less hicks and stuff uh more or less just kind of cowboy or rem uh remainders from that kind of cowboy era and that backdrop of this kind of small insular town and then you have this figure this uh sicilian figure named conforte who is selling sex in this town and is also an outsider himself trying to ingratiate himself, trying to blend into the population and trying to also offer a service that is more or less essential. So, I mean, it, but there's all, there are a lot of things that come with that business, generally speaking. So that's what a lot of this story is about, is the things that came along with Joe Conforte and the things that came along with Bonavena. It's like a competing, it's two competing forces, and you already know which one wins out, but you just need to know how. Yeah, and, and I think the book does a great job of of setting that up nicely to help us as readers and 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 people understand like how how these two individuals became affiliated with each other, became friendly with each other, and how how incidents or incident ended up leading to them to being at loggerheads with each other being being rivals with each other and, and ultimately leading to the demise of of oscar bonavena and i think that's a, a nice way to, to sort of lead into to that portion and that section of of this conversation because obviously people that are listening to it now i would be pretty sure that they kind of have an understanding of of how or what happened to to oscar bonavena if they've not already listened to our episode or read your book then you know they're coming at this with uh, with fresh ears, but for for these two guys to be initially, you know, quite friendly with each other, they had this sort of mutual relationship that that were benefiting them both. Oscar Bonavena, you know, he liked being in this area. He liked being uh, around the brothel. Joe Conforti liked had liked having a a heavyweight boxer around. He liked having someone who had this this ego to him like that, but that ego was always going to be testing against Joe Conforte's ego. And, and that's ultimately what, to summarise really, that's ultimately what happens. There's a chain of events that happen that lead to these two falling out. Uh, and ultimately Oscar Bonavena makes a pivotal decision and that pivotal decision is to whether to head away from Reno or whether to return to Reno. And it's at that moment where me personally Johnston personally when we was we was doing this even though we know the outcome we know the ending there's still this element of me inside that feels like if only Oscar Bonavena would have just made that decision just to drive away and not come back but his ego didn't seem to want to let him do that and he decided he wanted to confront Conforti and he, he wanted to try and resolve this situation in whichever way he felt was, was possible and this is ultimately what leads to his downfall 
coming back to you, Patrick, coming back to where you get to this point of your book and, and, and everything that you put together for your book, what what challenges did you face in trying to get the most accurate picture of events that happened? Well, um, I had to, I think there were two main challenges. The first one, and it might surprise some people, and hopefully not be too big of a turnoff, but nonetheless, it's the truth. Um, I had to rethink what I knew and how I felt about prostitution. Um, I, like, I felt as though there was a, a very clear parallel between the exploitative relationship in boxing and the exploitative relationship in prostitution. And I wanted to be able to express that a little bit more clearly in the book without Bible thumping about it or without in any way beating anybody over the head about it. But I did have to kind of readjust my understanding for much of my life. Um, you know, prostitution was, that's like a joke. That's like a, the, it's a punchline of a joke. You know, it's not, something that's serious and it's not some, and obviously in the last few years, the conversation has been moved considerably and that's overall a good thing in my opinion. But in the context of making this book, it also meant that I had to understand it differently, that the relationship was different than I understood previously. And I had to come to terms with that to really grasp the, the grasp what was going on in both cases, what Joe Conforte was involving himself in and what Oscar Bonavena was involving himself in without looking at those things truthfully, I felt like there was, you know, I, I couldn't really look at it truthfully myself. So in any case, um, that I thought was one of the first big challenges that I didn't realize until I was kind of well into writing it and went, oh, 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 I'm a shit. You know, kind of, I just came to a realization and said, oh, okay. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the second one was how many unreliable characters there are in the story. Um, not and not because of the prostitution and that was kind of where those two link that that there was kind of a tendency to go well look it's prostitution nobody's going to be honest when that's not really what we're looking at here like that's not that's not that's kind of a very surface level you know a, a very flimsy analysis of this um, whereas it's it's more that so many of these people had been involved in a lot of other violent crime, a lot of other really nasty crime that was far more than like doing drugs or something like that, you know, possession of pot, that type of stuff is not, you know, obviously now that that's nothing in the U S but things that were like running drugs, running guns, racketeering stuff that's clearly associated with gangster type level crimes and murder and stuff. And so many of these characters who pop up in this story were involved in these kinds of things on various different levels. To me, making them very difficult to rely on in terms of what they're saying. So pinpointing exactly what's happening at the murder scene, for instance, is tough. You don't really have any sort of reliable witnesses or, I mean, some of them might be reliable but have serious asterisks. To, you know, yeah. to why they might be motivated to not tell the truth. And that comes up very clearly, I think, in my book, where I, where I point out who and why. 
And so in any case, uh, that was, that was a challenge. Both of those things were very challenging for me. And also I've mentioned this in a couple of other interviews. So apologies for repeating myself and not giving you fresh, (laughs) fresh material, but, um, just to be truthful, I saw, um, you know, through this pandemic and through a lot of other stuff that people go through, um, you know, I saw a bit of myself in Bonavena in the sense that, um, you know, everybody screws up from time to time. And I was, I was having a period of my life when I first agreed to do this book where I was like kind of uncertain. I didn't really know what I was doing and felt like a screw up type of thing, whether it was true or not a self perception. And so for that was kind of an extra little bonus for me about the story that I saw this guy who was like his own worst enemy and whether or not it was true to feel that about myself felt like I was like, well, there's some relationship to this story. So again, not to get too weird or anything, but that was an extra element for me as far as writing the book. Well, it's a great book. And I think people do need to go out and, and, and buy the book if they've not already read it, because it does give you, uh, uh, for me personally, it gives uh, another, another a depiction of, of, Oscar Bonavina, a depiction of what happened to him, and ultimately a lot of context is set throughout the course of the book to be able to understand who, what, why, and when. And that's what I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed about reading the book. And then when we put our episode together, we were able to to pull in all different various sources, trawling through the newspaper articles from the time. Ta- you know, there's so much you can do, as you probably know already, like to, to get this all together to form this story. But then it started to make me ask questions at the end of it all as to uh, Oscar Bonavina. You know, we know we know how he died. We know what kind of know what happened. We will always ultimately ever know because as you rightly pointed out there were people with probably a bias towards certain individuals which is why maybe some of the facts are a little bit sketchy i think you can make your own uh, interpretations from that from from the actual factual evidence that's available out there but there were a few questions that it left me with and, and one of them in particular veering away from from the actual murder of Bonavina was about Bonavina himself in terms of his boxing career and the impact of that boxing career that he had and when I mentioned earlier about how you could see the the sort of slow demise of his in-ring career uh, and some of the beatings that he started to take along the way towards the end of his career it started to make me wonder whether this conversation of CTE should should creep into this, this this aspect of Oscar Bonavina and it, it, it makes me ask. It made myself ask the question. You know, could he have had CTE? I mean, there were some really grueling fights. There were some really grueling beatdowns that that he was a part of. And it makes me wonder, with all that erratic behaviour that he displayed following some of these fights and in the years following them, and then what we now know about CTE and and, and the more prominent cases, and there's a lot of celebrity cases uh, more so in this this generation than there's ever been, I think it starts to make me wonder whether he he was somebody that did suffer with CTE. 100%. I think that that is a 100% pertinent question and a question that should be asked even if we can't totally answer it. Um, not to name drop too much here, but Tris Dixon wrote Damage not too long ago, which goes into this precise topic. And obviously, not for everybody, but for me, 
I don't mind reading these kinds of things. I know they create a lot of cognitive dissonance for a lot of people enough that they stay away from these discussions. I understand that. Nonetheless, when you look at some of this bizarre behavior, it's, uh, it's 100% the right question to be asking. Um, you, as you pointed out on your podcast about, about Bonavena, he definitely had peculiar behaviors described by his family throughout his life that he was, he just had, uh, I don't know if you want to call them foibles. I don't know if you want to call them ticks, whatever you want to call them, just these strange things that he did about his clothing, his food, um, you know, being touched stuff like that. And, and it, and it also was different from situation to situation. That was what was so strange was that, he would walk up and just grab someone around the neck or something like playfully and like give them noogies or something. And then uh, otherwise they'd go to touch him and he'd smack their hand away and look like he was going to kill him. And it was, it was just so strange. But then you have, uh, I briefly touched on it in the book because this was again, another situation where I felt like getting too off topic was going to slow the pace down of the story but I mentioned that after the Ali fight, after he gets stopped for the the first time, well, the only time, um, that he is, he acts differently. Yeah. That after other losses, he had come home to Buenos Aires and there's a famous airport and there were a handful of times where he came home at this airport, I think it's Ezeiza, and he arrives home and there's a bunch of people waiting to greet him and they were after the Ali fight too because it was... It was a brave effort. Um, you know, I don't know that he was as successful as is generally said. I thought that toward the last handful of rounds, like maybe the last half of the fight, Ali started kind of beating his ass, in my opinion. Yeah. But but he definitely was awkward and was causing some stylistic issues. And it was a valiant effort. You know, he kept trying to get up. And so they met him at the airport nonetheless here. And instead of being jovial like before he's reserved and he's quiet and he's like, you know, trying between sobs to talk to reporters. And to me, you know, that's not like, those aren't telltale signs of a concussion, but they could be, they definitely could be wearing sunglasses because the light was hurting his eyes and et cetera, et cetera, these kinds of things. So it definitely begs the question and it definitely maybe makes it, makes you look at it through a different light is maybe he's not so much a villain. Maybe he was a victim, but you can't discount the people he victimized. Yeah, you know he can be both. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of how I walked away from this story, uh, wrapping that story up and thinking, you know, there were elements of his persona where you could see from from the people that knew him that you know there was elements where he was just such a great, nice, normal guy, but then there were elements where he he, he could change and he could. You know, with the click of your thing, fingers, he could be a completely different person, and I think that that's why it does beg a lot of these questions even now, and and because of what we know now and what education we we were allowed to be able to understand now is I think you start to ask a lot of these questions more so now than ever, and I think that's with the benefit of time and hindsight, of course, that we're able to do that. But I do think he was, I do think he he played his part when he needed to play his part. Of, of a villain, of a pantomime villain and I think he, he was very good at doing that, I think he, like many boxers 
before him and after him, I think he took up that role quite well many times throughout his boxing career, and he seemed to he seemed to embrace it as well. He seemed to get the impression he embraced it. He actually enjoyed being the pantomime villain or the guy that want you know was was to be disliked throughout the course of a, a build up to a fight or even at a weigh in. And there was many times where you you could quite evidently tell that this this was the persona he'd he took on upon himself to, to be that way uh, but i walked away from this episode that we did and, and the book that you've done and it kind of left me with this this different perception of who he was at the start of putting our research together and and, and obviously reading your book you start to, to think of this individual as uh what what people basically put him out there as, as as this this contender the heavyweight contender 1960s and 70s a guy that faced some of the best of of that particular era uh, and and came up short was a difficult guy to fight in the ring but what i started to realize throughout the course of it was that actually there was a lot more layers it was like peeling an onion it was like getting one big giant onion with oscar bonavina's name on it and just peeling it down and and, and really sort of looking at the layers of of his persona and, and all the different incidents and all the different moments throughout his life which which ultimately led to, to to what it did which was to his untimely demise i walked away from this patrick feeling like you know, I've learned so much about Oscar, and, and and there were so many elements of it of his life that uh, just could have been so much more different. And I, I I suppose I always feel that way going into that rabbit hole of of this this series that we do. You know, we do different people uh, on 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 ten episodes throughout ten weeks, and they've all got their own different stories. But one thing that seems to be quite uh, of a, a bit of a trend with each one of them is that there are always elements to these personas that we we really just didn't know about until it was brought brought to the forefront. And when you start to learn more about that, you start to get more of an understanding of, you know, who these people really were. And I think in some way, you kind of you can you can find elements of their personalities that you kind of resonate with. I know you mentioned it yourself a little bit earlier. And it's it's strange to say, but there are always elements of, of, of these individuals, people like Oscar, that you can somehow manage to find this sort of part of their personality which, which resonates with yours, even all these years later. It's, it, I, I found it quite a compelling thing when doing Oscar's story in particular, but the, the whole season for us. When you finish your book, when that book was done, it was ready to go off to be published and, and sent out to the world... What what was your feelings then at that point? Well, I was definitely nervous at how it would be received <clears throat> and me just kind of being my own worst critic, as they say. Um, I was worried and kind of like, ah, you know, there's so many things I should have done differently. There's so many things I should have done. Oh, this is, that wasn't that good. This should have been better. Um, but also kind of trying to temper that a little bit by reminding myself it's my first book. <laughs> you know, I've never written a book before and the circumstances were different than most people would be, you know, asked to write a book under. So I, I kind of tried to remind myself of those things, but I really wanted to, to entertain. Um, I wanted to make it a fun story and, you know, obviously dark, but still playful at times, playful enough that it's an easy read and not just a slog. Um, but also I wanted to, to educate, I suppose, you know, to pass along information, which it sounds like I did for a lot of people. And that's, that was important to me as well. So, um, I feel like in those, in those ways I, I accomplished that, but it was definitely nerve wracking to kind of wait and see how, <laughs> how it would be viewed. Um, 
and I guess just to kind of briefly respond to what you were saying, it seemed like as far as Oscar goes, it, for maybe a brief period of time, maybe a slightly longer period of time, he had a handle on playing that role, playing that pantomime of a villain. Like he did it okay. Like he balanced his life and played the villain. And it was like at some point it, it took over. He couldn't control it anymore or whatever it was. Um, you know, it slid away from him. So, yeah, I, I think that writing a story that uh, spoke at least to a few people was important to me. And it sounds like most people seem to enjoy it, thankfully. Well, I did personally. Johnston did. And I know there's many others out there that I've seen have shared uh, this this book on social media via Twitter or via Facebook and uh, I suppose handing it back to you again Patrick in terms of where people can actually purchase this book from obviously there's many outlets we're UK based podcasters but there are many different outlets in the US and the UK that are, we're able to get this book from so are there any particular ones you would recommend we can go to to purchase this book if we're looking for it? Certainly, uh, both Amazon in the U.S. and in the U.K., the book Shot Out of Brothel should be readily available and ships, you know, in a few days or something like that. But if that's not an option for you for whatever reason, you can also go to a place like Barnes & Noble. Uh, I don't know whether or not they deliver to the U.K., but I know that there are also another, a couple other independent websites like I believe it's bookshop.org where you can go and find like local stores that carry books or another thing would be to ask a local store to order it for you. Often that's, that's an option as well. So in terms of you then, Patrick, you've done your first book now. Have you got any intentions to do any more? And if so, would it be true crime based or would it be a completely different option or would it even be boxing? Uh, it's actually funny you ask. Um, I just started writing for a second book yesterday. Um, and it's it's actually not just boxing. It involves some wrestling, some pro wrestling as well. Um, and I no, I do not have a publisher, but but i'm I'm kind of just going forward, sallying forth now that i've I feel like uh, breaking the seal on the first book was difficult enough for me for a host of reasons, and then kind of breaking that seal. I'm like, okay. I think I got it now. I think I understand. I think I, I think I can do it. So I'm, um, I'm kind of starting off. So yeah, there are definitely plans to do other books, whether or not this one gets published, who knows, but um, it was good to feel like I accomplished it for sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. It's been a pleasure for you to give your, your journey of, of how you've put that book together. And obviously for people listening, if you've not already purchased Patrick's book, Shot at a Brothel, The Spectacular Demise of Oscar Bonavena, you can purchase it through all the available outlets that Patrick has mentioned. Uh, please do go and do it. Go and support Patrick. Go and support uh, his journey with his writing. It's uh, it's a great first book. It's a great opening salvo to uh, to be able to go through. And, and we've, we've had a great pleasure in sitting down and and obviously putting this episode together and we've had a great what a great pleasure today doing this interview with yourself and hearing from you directly about the challenges and how how difficult it is to to put these things together i think people don't really appreciate it i say these things a lot to a lot of our listeners i don't think they understand how long it can actually take to put certain projects together and you know this this can be done over the course of months sometimes even years for, for, for some people it takes them a long long time to get 
all this information together and put it in the way they want it to, to so it's perceived in, in the way they want it to be perceived and i think you did a great job in doing that with the book we've really enjoyed it i've enjoyed having you on and if anybody wants to follow you on social media anybody that doesn't already know you via social media how can they do that uh, i think i'm probably spending most of my time on twitter and there i'm at patrick m connor but i also run an account called boxing history that uh i don't know if you don't like my own personal opinions and you just want the boxing that might be the place to go fabulous well thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure thanks so much for the brilliant book uh, and hope to speak to you again soon thank you i really appreciate you having me uh, i've been listening to your pod and you guys do a really great job so and I, if you're already listening to it i don't need to convince you to listen to more but if you're only a one-time listener come back Podcast Network.